0: Welcome to my podcast. Uh, this is called, um, the Instagram handle is at funny podcast or at fun podcast, sorry. Um, uh, the podcast name uh, is It's Going to Be Okay. Um, this is my first recording, my first session since I started doing things online. Um, so I have a few um kind of you know intros uh the first person that i am interviewing which i am very happy to uh admit that she's been a very good friend of mine um her name is Chica Chica Coro. Give it, yeah, name? yeah. Um, she is has been an inspiration to me since I cool. started doing stand up. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I I need to introduce myself. Yeah, I, I just I just came in here and I'm like, oh, my mind uh, buzzes. Okay, so my podcast is basically about um, uh, introducing people, uh, you know, artists, uh, comedians, creatives alike who uh, struggle with mental health issues or have gone through, you know, kind of the trial and tribulations of learning how to deal with it. And I feel like a lot of people have come out when they do come out or even if they're struggling through it, they notice that having a good sense of humor helps them get through it. At least that's how I got through mine (laughs) or how I'm getting through it. So, um I am your host. My name is Carissa Gomez, and welcome, Chica. I'm glad you are, you know, here. Thank You're you my first. So You're here to break the seal. You're here to <laughs> break know, the right? seal Sorry to the to the to the podcast. <laughs> I'm very happy. Um, uh, we are here in Hollywood at Deaf Noodles Comedy uh, and uh, Media Studio Productions. So I'm grateful for this as well. Um, it will be my birthday soon, so this is kind of like a, a just a whole amalgamation of things. Um, but I have Chica here today because she is not only an amazing comedian, but she is also uh, a healthcare professional. And um, I know we've had a lot of uh, private conversations um, simply because we kind of share the same background. And in terms of uh, education, uh, I am a medical school dropout and she is not. <laughs> so, uh, play, so she went all the way through. She she made try. it. She made it. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I didn't because, you know, because of my mental health disorder. I uh, was diagnosed 20 years, I'm just going to give you a background. I was diagnosed 20 years ago with, uh, with schizophrenia. Um, and that has, uh, been challenging in and of itself and all I, I, you know, obviously when people come up, they look at me and they're like, Oh, you're very well put together. And I'm like, I'm barely hanging on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've had a lot of conversations with Chica simply because we kind of share uh, a lot of the things Is specifically in, um, knowing how to navigate some of the, the medical field and, and a lot of the challenges that come with it. And uh, one of the things I think that stands out is just the fact that how um, being a healthcare professional in and of itself is contradictory to your mental health. Yeah. <laughs> it's counterproductive, I think, it you know, yeah. so uh, give us, um, you know, some of the things that you've encountered um, just being a nurse and, you know, learning how to manage your work you know, life balance, which I think there is none non-existent.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So for me, I'm a stand-up comedian here in uh, Inland Empire, Los Angeles area, but my background is an ICU nurse. Um, Recently, I just graduated from a psychiatric uh, nurse practitioner program, so I will be treating mental health disorders and also be licensed to prescribe. That's my background just a little bit. But largely in the ICU, we do have patients that come in, you know, more so like the acute phases like untreated depression or homelessness or other things that kind of like stack up on top of each other like they have PTSD it goes untreated then it gets worse and ICU it gets yeah. much worse over time you
0: said acute faces phases, phases or faces phases
1: phases, phases mean okay. that it's very emergent it's very critical like there's oh, okay. the goal is to try to prevent it like when everyone says like hey if you're struggling go in and get some help talk to a therapist those are like more preventative stuff but in the acute phase, it means like they need to be like in the lockdown unit right now. Um, maybe restraints, maybe some type of medication intervention. Oh. That's more of the acute phase. Like you have to treat this right now because it's more so emergent.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I I feel like as a patient, <laughs> I was in acute phase. Yeah. Um. But I was also in an ugly one too. So, <laughs> so you know, that's yeah. That's just my little my little tidbit about that. Um. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that, I mean, how you, have you ever gone from being a patient as, from being a nurse to a patient? You know I, I have say? myself, yeah. yeah. Okay. But
1: nothing, not for, in terms of, like, mental health, just, like, physically, like, being in the hospital for, like, a knee surgery or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I know you were talking about how it's kind of counterproductive to your mental yes. health. Yes, yeah. But I think even for nurses, we're kind of. They talked a lot about soft skills, like being compassionate, being kind, how to talk to patients. Like, those are the soft skills, you know. The hard skills are, like, doing IVs and, like, the very specific skill set. But I think a lot of nurses, like, they expect us to be, like, overly compassionate at times. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about previously, like, in terms of how I've always had to de-escalate a situation. Right. Even right. though sometimes it's to my own detriment. And yeah. And now it's like, I'm off the clock. I'm in a situation where I, like, oh, I have to de-escalate. But actually, you know what? You're being disrespected. You need to escalate, do something else, maybe instead. Right. So I think that's one of the things that I'm learning is that, okay, aside from being a nurse, I'm also a human being. So how do I navigate both sides? Like, when do you turn it off? Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. How do you turn off the people pleasing? <laughs> the, the how do you turn that? Like I feel like that, you know, when you when you're in an industry where you're meant to to kind of you're still a human, but you're you're still trying to take care of other humans, you know, and and you're I mean, their bottom line is not necessarily yours. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you're there to be paid, but you're not there to make a profit. You know what I mean? And I think that that kind of, um, capitalism basically, um, makes people think that they have control over someone else you know that concept of the customer is always right i (laughs) i have always had problems with that um especially you know seeing my mom and how she would kind of like berate people and i was like that's not appropriate you know even if you think you are correct i don't think that you should treat people like that and i think the same goes with um you know your because your nurse essentially i i always think of it this way they have control over the IV drip you know like you can just fuck someone up and just be like hey you know what they fucking died like that's i don't have any control over that maybe whatever it was that i gave them they couldn't handle it you know what i mean and you know you can just move on to another hospital (laughs) i don't know i always i always thought that 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 was you know strange but i wouldn't want to piss anybody off especially my you know, my caretaker. That would no. I've I've seen you know some horror stories, and uh, I wouldn't want to be on either side. So I didn't. You know, like I identify with you know what you're saying, and I've seen. Uh, other patients treat their caretakers like
1: shit. And I'm like, dang, bro, you,
0: you are getting
1: yourself into some trouble. Um, and I see that a lot, too. I think sometimes, like, people perceive, like, nurses, I think because we work the most with patients, like, mm-hmm. they see me the most. Doctors come in and out, you know, pharmacist is barely there. They might come at the end. But in terms of, like, for my role, I'm, I see the patient the most, like, the full 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes patients don't understand is like, it's in my best interest to help you. Because I'm gonna have a good day. If right. you're having a bad day, I'm gonna have a hard yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I think like I'm trying to stop them from getting a medication or I can't do this or she's not giving me that. It's like I don't have control over that. You know, if I had the medication to give it to you, I would. But yeah. sometimes like pharmacy has to give it to me, the doctor has to order it. So you do see a lot of patients like tend to be agitated about certain things that's not really in my control. You know? Right. Especially during the pandemic, I saw that a lot. It's like, and you understand that people are, this is a situation where, it has been like unprecedented pretty much. Mm-hmm. People are just kind of trying to hold on as best as they can. So you see a lot of anxiety. We saw a lot of depression. Um, family members were passing away and no one could come in and see them. So it's like you have a lot of those interactions and it's like, wow, I understand patients are having a hard time. i have having a hard time too. Yeah, You know, it was a struggle for me. And I feel like for me, like when I wasn't at work, I was just like sleeping. But watching TV, I I didn't like, I felt like I didn't exist. You just disconnected from reality. Because that that was
0: your only way of decompressing, you know, was like, if I can't shut down at work, you know, because you're always on, then I'm going to shut down when I'm not at work, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of shutting down, uh, (laughs) I feel like I feel like a lot of people um, after the speaking of shutting down after the pandemic, because you guys basically went on lockdown in the place where no one was allowed to go, you know, and I feel like after that, you know, like going through that. I mean, this is kind of the reason why I dropped out of medical school was basically I felt like if I couldn't, you know, the term, the idea, like if you can't help yourself, how are you going to help others kind of deal? That is true. To a certain extent, you know, Um, I think now I'm in a I'm in a better place mentally where I've made it out enough to say, okay, well, I have this knowledge and maybe if I pass it down in a way to other people, it might help them navigate some of the things that I went through. And Mm -hmm. this is the reason why I have this um, this podcast is because I think a lot of the stuff that we talk about, nobody does it in a funny way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially (laughs) because it's kind of like. A lot of people get sad, and you know uh, they get triggered, and um, yeah, you're allowed to do that. You should, you should be, because um, I don't think I don't think this is being spoken about enough, you know. Um, and I know everyone's like, oh, we need to have this discussion, we need to have this, but when is the right time to do it, you know? And there, th- 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 there's just always so many factors that go into avoiding um, you know, some of the important parts of taking care of your health. And I think a lot of the reasons why now I'm going to touch on, on this basis where a lot of, a lot of people, particularly minority groups, uh, will avoid going to the hospital because there's this huge stigma, not only because, yeah, it costs a lot of money. Obviously it's ridiculous. The amount of money that it costs just to, uh, look for a therapist or even just, trying to find a therapist you have to get, uh, I feel like you have to go through a psychiatric evaluation to find a therapist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's it's like, why jump through all these hoops? Like by the time I even find my therapist, it might be too late. I might've well fucked up the 405 <laughs> trying to, you know, take my life into my own hands, you know, kind of deal. And
1: that's, and when you hinted on in terms of like the racial disparities piece, like even for me being a nurse, yeah. you know, and I even talked to you like, oh, hey, I think I should also talk to someone at some point. And to me, I... I remember just having a conversation with another male comic who was going to school. He was doing some type of, like, maybe like a marriage family therapist or, like, just a therapist of counseling or of some sort. Mm-hmm. He got into a program. And after having a conversation with him, I told him, I said, you know what, this is the reason why I'm never going to go to a white male therapist. <laughs> 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 like, I appreciate what, I appreciate that you're, you're trying to help, you know? Yeah. I think because it's, like, for sometimes people tend to, not sometimes, but oftentimes people tend to kind of dismiss like the racial, like aspects. cultural,
0: yeah, cultural things exactly that go into cultural competency
1: yeah. is always like a big deal. We always have all this education, and this is an example I'm going to give you why. So I had a female friend, right, who had an anxiety disorder, but she was going into residency, you know, mm-hmm. for med school, and it's like four years of medical school. Then you have, I'm just explaining to people who they don't understand, four years of medical school, then you pick a residency, and they're there for like three or four or five years, right? And then she was saying how she was talking to her therapist, and that. She has, like, locks, so, like, dreadlocks pretty okay. much. And she was saying to her therapist, you know, like, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable wearing my locks in the interviews because I don't want to be judged. Yeah. And then this was a white female therapist, and she said, oh, your, your locks don't look that dirty. Wow. So it's, like, interactions like that to where it's, like, you already have your own – you're projecting what you think when that's not what I asked. Yeah. So now it's, like, I don't feel safe in this space, right? Yeah. Because you're just – you're already telling me that, okay, my locks do look dirty. So now I'm now I have this like reoccurring thing of like, OK, people are going to judge me harshly, even in a therapeutic setting mm-hmm. or even like in an interview. Yeah. Then you feel like you have to kind of adjust. Yeah. Basically,
0: so- by getting that bias, it's like a bias confirmation. You know what exactly. you just said, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm I mean, I get that. I just. Oh, God. It, there's just so many things yeah. that are kind of crazy um when it comes to, um you know, I mean, you as a woman of color you work on you work on both ends Mm -hmm. you work as uh the healthcare provider and then as someone who is adamantly you know seeking or speaking to a therapist Mm -hmm. right so i mean give me you know kind of some of the things that you've gone through that you wish to impart on people you know it doesn't necessarily have to be like a story if you don't want to share but like you know, kind of something that like, what was the reason why you started seeking therapy other than the reason that, other than the fact that your job would, you know, put you into therapy?
1: <laughs> I'll say for me, like I tend to have an avoidance. Um, I think with avoidance, it comes like, when people talk about like, people pleasers, I heard this statement like, people pleasers tend to be manipulative. And I was like, what do you mean what? manipulative? I'm no, like, I how? And it's because it's like, you don't necessarily, if if I don't please this person, then what's the outcome for me? So it's like now I'm trying to take control of the situation. I'm trying to change it around so that I'm avoiding some negative situation. Because if I don't please you, then I'm assuming there's going to be some type of negative thing that's going to happen to me. I think the person that gave you that
0: projection <laughs> was, was probably a narcissist. I, 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 I feel was, like they and that, were, and I yeah. I think that's the thing, okay. too. I think
1: it's trying to find both. Whereas to me, I feel like I haven't found a balance. Right. Like, am I doing this because I want to do it? Or am I doing this because I feel like I'm too, I feel like I have to do it? I feel like this is an identity piece. The thing I know about myself is that I'm really good at helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something that I'm really proud of. And people like reinforce that, too. Like, oh, my gosh, Chica, you're so nice. You do such a great job. So then it makes me want to keep doing it. But is it actually beneficial to me? Right. Or is it actually a detriment. Yeah. I think being and able to find the balance between that. I,
0: I get what you're saying. I've, I've had kind of, you know, the same um, problem, too, where. You're trying to differentiate how to, because you're you're naturally a compassionate person. I get it. This is mm-hmm. this is kind of the reason why you know I wanted to get in the healthcare field, or why people have suggested that I should go back and do it. Um, and it's because we see people who have struggled. We've been in that struggle as well, and you know our natural reaction is not necessarily to save them, but maybe to point them into the right yeah. direction. Um, But, but in a way where they don't feel like they're losing their identity or they don't feel like they're, you know, um, kind of um, not doing it on their own volition, you know? Um, And that's, I think that's how you should help. But getting back to the people pleaser thing. um, Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I think the reason why sometimes we have to turn it off is because we often get manipulated by, manipulated by people who are just there to take advantage
1: Exactly. basically
0: people that are like oh yeah i'm just gonna keep pushing it with this person and she's never gonna say no because i'm always gonna play the victim and i'm always just gonna be the one in need yeah and necessary and that's you know typically you know kind of like uh, people with some sort of narcissistic personality disorder i am not diagnosing them uh <laughs> <laughs> but i am saying that I've read about like some of the narcissistic personality disorders and it's usually most people, they don't get diagnosed because they don't think anything's wrong with them. (laughs) And that's the tough part about it is because, you know, when I mean, there's they think they're perfect kind of deal, you know, and I've lived with someone like that. Um, so I'm very familiar with it and, you know, we, it's funny when you change the dynamic of where you're coming from, if you start thinking about why you're a certain way, it's because of your upbringing essentially. So I'm pretty sure like maybe you have someone who is an authoritative figure in your family, uh, that has kind of formed why you've even become a, a people pleaser, Oh, yeah, wow. I
1: think definitely, like, a Nigerian parent yeah. type of upbringing, yes. you know? Yeah, it's, it's always just, like, I think the always having to succeed, right? you know? And it's more of, like, I became more of, like, a task-oriented person. Mm-hmm. And then you see that you get some positive feedback when you do that. So you judge yourself based on those things. But then also it's, like, where's the emotional piece? I think someone recently told me, like, when we were talking about a situation that happened, you know, where I'm, like, this is a chance I should have spoken up for myself when I did it. Right. You know what I mean? And then after a fact, I had to like reflect on that situation, right? But it was kind of like I don't want to get too too much into it. No, no, go ahead. But I kind of noticed the patterns in myself. Like sometimes people always think it's like you're going to therapy because you have a diagnosis, right? I'm going to show up having a good diagnosis, but it could just be that you go through a breakup, yeah, and there's a loss of some sort. Yeah, and you're having a hard time coping. Yeah, I'm noticing patterns in my behavior where. I don't speak up for myself. So why is that? Yeah. It's not because I don't know. It's maybe I just don't have the courage or I don't feel like it's a safe thing to do. You know, and in situations where I felt like, you know, in the past, uh, traumas that I had that kind of came up, you know, and I didn't have any triggers up until maybe like the last like four weeks ago. Then I had a trigger. And I always thought to myself like, oh, when this thing happens, I'm going to react in this way until it actually happened. And I didn't react how I thought I was going to. You know, everyone's oh, We're going to fight back. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I froze. And I was like, maybe it's because I didn't do that work before because oh. they said I, I hear like trauma doesn't heal like by you trying to hide it or you're trying to act like it doesn't exist. Like I said, I always had this avoidance to where now I'm faced with that and I have to deal with it. Yeah. So maybe instead of avoiding it for three years, because you're like, oh, you know, it's been a long time. I got past it. You know, everything's good until it comes up. you are like, oh, wow. And it sent me back to where I was, I felt like seven, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of thing that prompted me to be like, OK, I have all these feelings coming back of like maybe you're feeling worthless again or people only want you for this one thing. Um, you don't feel like you can be safe and be vulnerable at the same time. So I have to choose which one. So that I tend to keep things in. So it's kind of like this reinforcing wheel. And you notice these habits. So I need to break that pattern. I think that's kind of where I'm going with it. No, exactly. I I, I think, but people sometimes they feel like therapies for people to be diagnosed when it's like it could be anything. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And
0: I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's another reason why people avoid, um, you know, uh, even seeking therapy or because they always think like, oh, people are gonna see me as crazy, you know, and like. So what? <laughs> is that the that's not the worst thing that can happen, you know? People are going to see you as crazy even if you don't get therapy, you know? I've yeah. I've been in situations where it's just a regular normal ass person apparently that's what they think and they lose their shit and then all of a sudden they're crazy and then now it's like but he wasn't diagnosed with anything. He was just going through it. It was situational. It was circumstantial, yeah. you know? And that's that is another reason why Um, you know, I think even having the conversation about seeking therapy doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get labeled as something unlike me, uh, (laughs) I'll embrace the label. I know, you know, I feel, you know, it's, I've, I've had people that will tell me you shouldn't be so open with your diagnosis, you know, because then people are going to take advantage of you. And I also feel that that's a projection too. I'm like, then that means that I shouldn't be around you, you Mm -hmm. know, when, you know, that's how you're thinking. That's how you're seeing it. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, me being open about it um, has had people kind of understand some of my, you know, uh, kind of awkward behavior. Or, you know, sometimes I'll get into, you know, little pitfalls in my head mm-hmm. um, when I'm out in public. And, you know, then I'll know how to seek people who can help me out, you know, and people yeah. will be able to see the signs kind of, you know, physically, like when I shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the you know, that that's another reason getting back to, to why people don't want to see therapy or seek therapy is, you know, they're afraid like, oh, well, people are going to see me a certain way. Let them see you as crazy, you know, let them. (laughs) And Uh, that's
1: the thing, too. I think someone's like, oh, I have friends I can talk to. I do yoga. And that stuff is great. There's all these things that we can do for mental health. But at the same time, I think having a space designated just for your healing, like mm -hmm. I'm going to spend an hour just to heal, just to learn, just to grow. I think that's also really important. Because our friends are also not therapists. You know? Yeah, and, exactly. And our partner may be great or maybe not so great. Yeah. And they're maybe not, <laughs> maybe they're not a safe person, right? We've been in a situation where it's like, yeah, yeah well, enough. you have.
0: At least you haven't found out. You know, <laughs> you're like, I'm still trying to, yeah. Yeah. You're like, still trying to figure <laughs> things out with, uh, with the right person. But yeah, go exactly.
1: Ahead. So it's like just having a space to where it's like, oh, I should address this thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like life transitions. You know, maybe moving from one place to another. You're feeling alone. You feel isolated. A lot of people had that during the pandemic. You know, yeah, They didn't well, really have uh, yeah. close people that they could talk to. They just felt isolated. And you, saw, like, mental and you saw people start to cope in different ways. You know, maybe it's alcoholism or <laughs> maybe it's the mushrooms <laughs> and the weed. <laughs> it's the video games. It's the comfort food. Sorry, that's me. Yeah. So everyone has, like, all these things that we do that we call self-soothing. Right. But I think being consciously aware of, like, okay, this is a space designated just for me to heal and for me to learn. I think that's also really important you know
0: yeah no I no i get what you're saying the the pandemic definitely brought out a lot of thirstiness in people <laughs> i you know i we saw it we saw himness. it in two ways we saw it in two ways okay we saw it in terms of alcoholism and obviously only fans you know they <laughs> only yeah <laughs> no only fans i was on
1: the app for like a good half hour and i was like you know what let me delete this yeah
0: <laughs> wow okay I thought no. I was
1: depressed when I saw a couple characters yeah, yeah I think I'm good I you're think I'm like good.
0: yeah <laughs> I think my coping skills are a little I think maybe taking to the bottle is a lot better yeah. than uh, taking we'll be on the app, you're like
1: you know what I'm not that bad actually and then yeah yeah exactly you're like, yeah, exactly. Them, uh, you're you're like let's things. just
0: trash this yeah. uh, you're like I'm not that desperate we're gonna come out of this we're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah exactly speaking of coping mechanisms um what are some of the things you've used you know for you? you know self-soothing obviously we all have our own things you know i'll go over it but i want you to go over yours first
1: (laughs) for me i would say like anytime i get really overwhelmed Mm -hmm. in general i would say i have like the basics which is like the simple things that we can do like right now you know as we're waiting to get to therapy or whatever that is we're waiting for that you know whatever it's trying to get enough sleep eight hours of sleep eat a balanced diet move my body yeah. You know, because I think once like you're laying in bed because you, you don't feel good, you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. Right. And like when people talk about like being depressed and you don't want to get out of bed, then when you for me to get out of bed, it feels counterintuitive. Like, why would I want to get out of bed if I don't want to? But you actually get out of bed so that you feel better. Yeah, You don't wait to feel better to get out of bed. So, even though I don't feel like I want to do anything. I still try to keep a routine, go and take a walk, move my body at some point is really beneficial to me because then I just feel better. Yeah, really?
0: yeah, no, I I know that feeling. Um, before this was before the pandemic, before everybody was like, "Oh, I'm not leaving my house in my pajamas," <laughs> kind of deal. Um, I went through like, I I've went through like depression on a scale where I didn't leave my house. You know, for and nobody had to tell me you shouldn't leave. You know, <laughs> it was just me not leaving uh, my house. I Weighed like 260 pounds, you know. uh, That was my heaviest. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't leave my house. I was I was always in bed, and I remember my mom, you know, coming in and saying, You gotta go and find a job. You're lazy, you know, and this and this and that. And I was like, nah, I'm not lazy. Uh and she's like, I'm not lazy because I stay in my bed for so many hours longer than (laughs) most people. I said technically I'm an overachiever, okay? I'm overachieving in sleeping. (laughs) Um, But the thing that you're saying about, you know, getting out of bed and moving, um, sometimes when, you know, when you're in a depression, you're just like, man, it's not even worth it. Fuck it. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care. You know, I, yeah. Um, And for you to kind of, you know, differentiate at that point, I think that that being stuck in my bed made me even more cynical. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're like, oh, fuck. Like, is it even worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just you're just sitting there waiting for yourself to die. <laughs> that And, you know, I, I went through that forever. I went through that for like seven years. Mm-hmm. I was in my bed and I was just waiting to die. And then it it did happen. Uh, I got a blood clot in my leg.
1: Oh, and yeah, then I
0: got okay. a I got one in my lung. And uh <laughs> And it was, it was for the dumbest thing too. Uh, I slipped and fell in my bathtub because um, I was drinking pickle juice. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. It just, I It's just, that's, I, that's, the depression will make you drink pickle. Yeah, well, pickle Depression juice, yeah. will make you, that was my coping mechanism was the, was the pickle juice. Cause that made me feel good. You know, I was like, this is great. I love the flavor. I, Just don't ask. Um, I mean, you could ask later on, put it in the comments, I guess, and say, hey, I drink pickle juice, too, and we can trauma bond, you know? (laughs) But, yeah, I've been in some weird places mentally where, you know, all I wanted to do was lay down and drink pickle juice. Apparently, that causes blood clots. (laughs) But... Yeah, so, you know, getting, I guess we got off subject
1: with the. Oh, yeah, you were asking me what else I do. And I think journaling, I think, is big for me. Right, right. You know, I think sometimes even, like, with my comedy, people are like, oh, you have such dark material." I'm like, do I? And I'm just like, because I, when I, sometimes, like, I write, like, if I get really annoyed with something. Yeah. I have to keep, I keep writing about it until I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like, I got it out. And then I rewrite it into a comedy and then I rewrite it for, like, the audience. Right. But the first draft is always, I just write for myself. And then I feel like I'm preoccupied, when I think of it. And then I feel like humor, like we said,
0: yeah,
1: humor coping mechanism, coping it. mechanism. So that I always, it's always like where I filter out through, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if something dark really happens, something really sad happens, then it's always gonna filter out into comedy because I like to write comedies, you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah, I like to have like a dark happy comedies,
0: ending. dark comedies, like uh, uh, Dante Alig- or I, am I reading? Am I saying the name right? It's a it's a literary. Reference, but I'll look it up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you write dark comedies. I I get what you're saying. I get. I guess like all of our material comes from just comes from, comes from just writing for therapy because that I yeah, feel like. I just- yeah, I mean that's how it started for me too, you know? And And it helps
1: though. Like you you it, find like I feel like there's like you're I feel like I'm digging for an answer and then eventually I'm like, there it is. This is the thing yes, I was. Trying yeah, to say. yeah. Well it
0: helps, but it also pisses off your therapist, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause I remember I I feel like I first started doing stand-up in therapy, you know, and my doctor was like, That's not a very healthy way of looking at it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they would they would make you write you know apparently now when you write like a list of goals Mm -hmm. you know people will call them manifesting or manifestations Mm -hmm. you know and I'm like "Mm, I don't know if you write that down and then you go shoot up a strip (laughs) mall then it's it turns into something else you know like that was your man that's what the doctor was telling you to do they were telling you to write a list of goals (laughs) apparently that turned into a manifesto you know and And this is yeah and here we are this is the dark the dark humor that we're getting at. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been in situations where I feel like uh, me, you know, being open about, you know, some of the things that I've written in my journal that I thought was humorous. The doctor was like, I don't Yeah. I think you need to keep, keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, of course I still went back. I wasn't going to stop. Um, um, but I, I, yeah, I did. I did uh, stop recently Uh, Not my not by my own volition, but uh, just because the therapist that I had for like 12 years that Mm kind of helped me through a lot of some of the rough Mm -hmm. stuff. um, He found another job. (laughs) And no, no, it was it was fine because I was very happy for him. But I kind of also asked him if if he found a job because uh, because I was bad. (laughs)
1: Was that your, like, last session? Or- yeah, yeah. Well, I
0: mean, he, he was still my therapist through the pandemic. So, um, but we didn't, you know, it was most, like, it was telephone mm-hmm. kind of deal. Um, but, yeah, he helped me out a lot, uh, you okay, know. Um, but apparently, I wasn't his worst. uh <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he was very open about that with me. And uh, he's like, you know what? Out of all my patients, you weren't the worst. And I was like, oh, that's a a badge of honor, I think. I wasn't the worst, but I knew I was, you know. No, (laughs) no, not the best. I mean, I I was the best at being what I was. Yeah, I was the best at being schizophrenic, but not the worst. You know, I wasn't. So I'm like, yeah, I got to be good at something, you know. I'm out here taking all these jobs nobody wants, so. (laughs) But yeah, so we—I mean, yeah—I journal too. Um, I journal a lot more, but like uh, different things. You know, I feel like if people saw me journaling now, they'd be like, "This is very hateful," because <laughs> I do a lot of roast. I do a lot oh, of roasting, yeah. so <laughs> they'd be like, real. "Who are you insulting?" I'd Like, yeah. I always come up with like, yeah. uh, like uh, <laughs> you know. I, I come up with fake profiles of
1: stuff. People. So I guess roasts are also a coping mechanism. Yeah, roasting, <laughs> roasting, safe space. Roasting yeah.
0: is another coping mechanism. Yeah, comedy is a big coping mechanism. Apparently, um, it's a healthy one because at least like. You could say you want to strangle somebody, but you know people know you're not going to do it because obviously you've you've told everyone. You know they're like, why would I why would I do it now when I told everybody? And it's not a surprise, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that, but I've had some people kind of like get. I've had people get upset with me, um, you know, about talking about my my. I had a wh- a white woman one time. She was an audience. She's like, you know, you're very brave, but. <laughs> It's not considered a mental illness. She's all like, it's neurodivergent. And I was like, bitch, the fuck? <laughs> I said, the cop isn't going to know that. The cop isn't going to give a shit, dude. If I'm running down the street, they're going to be like that. There goes a neurodivergent person, you know? <laughs> they're going to be like, no. Then they're going to bring Chica in right here. They're going to be like, hey, you know her. Can you get her to put her clothes back on kind of deal? Um so I mean, yeah. I mean, I I, I love talking with you about uh, you know mental health and. and
1: do you get some positive? I guess you do get, but you do really well though. So I I bet you do get a lot of positive, like people give you positive feedback about your material too.
0: I do. I do get. I I get like a mixture of. It's strange. I get a mixture of like people who are like. They will agree with what I'm saying, but then they'll, like, shoot at me. Like, it's still not going to hurt. I'm like, the fuck? Like, yeah, I was just vulnerable with you on stage, you know? Yeah. And then they come and they insult me afterwards. Like, I'm going to like that shit. I'm like, motherfucker, that still hurts.
1: I know. <laughs> I like, when I'm on stage, it's fine. Like, when I get off stage, I'm actually a real person, too. Yeah, so like- <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's the same thing. It's like, when once you clock off, like, you have a on and off switch. You're like, once you clock off, you're done. You're still a person, you know? You're
1: like... <laughs> You're like, you're trying to fuck with my misery? <laughs> like, nobody can talk shit about it but me, you know? I don't, no one's ever said anything to me, but I've heard through the grapevines some people don't like. Oh. I'm like, okay, it's fine. But I know why why I say what I'm saying. What what grapevines are those? Um, I would say just never – it's mostly male – Oh, mostly other. So it's like you know, like when men critique you, are just like mm. Mm. you have to filter it through like misogyny yeah, and like yeah, all that stuff. You, so then, or you, then you just
0: just misogyny. insecurity in general. <laughs> just like that's a big insecurity filter, you know. It's because a- I
1: think what would happen is like they would critique it, but then they try to rewrite it. With, I'm like, well, I would never say that because I'm yeah. Like I don't sound like that because you're writing from like a male perspective, so of course it's gonna sound different. Yeah. So it's like that's why you can't really take critique from like I won't say from anyone, but like, you have to filter like the source, like.
0: Yeah, I had someone that came up to me and they're like, oh, you should write your story like this. I said, motherfucker, did you? (laughs) I said, I'm, I'm, they're trying to tell me how to tell my story about growing up. And I'm like, were you there? Were you, did you see that shit happen? Did you, what kind of DeLorean are you in? Motherfucker, come on, (laughs) you you know, tell me how much of an expert you think you are on, you know, my life. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's disappointing. Uh I don't go and tell them, "Hey, well, you know, I don't see you, you know, jerking off on." Because <laughs> obviously, a lot of these guys that try to give off that kind of critique, they usually tell, you know, jerk off or like, "I've, you know," <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they should be wearing the uh, the explicit clothing, I think, because <laughs> they're so used to showing their dick on stage or talking
1: about it. And I'm like, stage. yeah, and cars apparently too, is what I've heard. Oh God, no.
0: But anyway, let's, uh, let's get, I, I love this. Let's, uh, let's get back on the, the, yeah, it is, it is part of mental health. I mean, we did kind of get into, you know, how it's like being, uh, just being a female comedian to, you um, know, a, a woman of color, obviously. I don't know why they think we're not, we're not knowledgeable of anything. Like, oh, I'm so dumb. I don't know. I'm not aware of my <laughs> life. Oh, can you please help me? <laughs> i I don't know how to write a joke i just you know i went through all these arduous you know uh classes just to be a nurse or to be a doctor and i'm still so very clueless (laughs) (laughs) help me doing that that hurt hurt, doing that little impression (laughs) yes doing that impression of a helpless person hurt i think you know (laughs) um because even though, yes, I do have a mental illness, I know I'm not helpless. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think that that's kind of something where a lot of people mistake in people that are very in tune with their feelings, they mistaken it for weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's not what that means,
1: you know. <laughs> and I agree with that. And I think sometimes, because I was having a conversation with, um, it was an African-American male. Oh, God. Black okay. And we were talking, and he was talking about, like, Whole, like, how mental health doesn't, it's not for black people anyway. Like, we just, like, I guess, like, black community is very much like Christian, Baptist, like, church oriented. Like, that's kind of where you go. Yeah. Like, therapy is not really like our thing that we do. And I was encouraging him to go. Right. And he was like, oh, but you know, like, if I go to therapy, and then people are gonna look at me differently because men are supposed to be strong and this and that. And I'm like, well, if you subscribe to that, but no one has, you can go to therapy and no one has to know. Right. Right. Yeah. And the thing about it is, like, you said, you're not helpless. Yeah. And I think like the answer, if, if I felt like the answer, let's say to my depression or to my anxiety was out in the world somewhere, you're going to be constantly chasing something. Right. But at some point in therapy, they kind of let you know that you have to empower yourself and that's where you find control over your situation. Like, okay, I can make these choices, therefore I do have some control. I'm not a helpless person. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we've seen, like patients when they feel really helpless, like we so said, that's really dangerous, especially like, when it comes to depression. So like when they have just a slight, like degree of oh I can do this for myself that means something it actually means a lot
0: yeah, that means no, you're not helpless that it, means yeah. you can actually
1: make different choices so I think that's really important exactly
0: too. it does it does mean a lot um, having a sense of autonomy means a lot for people and you know that's kind of I mean I'll touch on the the yeah. thing about um, going back to minorities and then, yeah, and then really males like that. Um, but that sense of autonomy I feel like that you know kind of helped me more uh, when I realize, oh, I'm, I'm an adult, I'm in control, you know, because when you're getting, um, help specifically for the diagnosis that I have, um, a lot of people will try to make decisions for you because they think you're not capable yeah. of doing it for yourself. And I think that that is a yeah. toxic way of dealing with people, with patients, you know, um, And, you know, kind of getting into like I've been hospitalized multiple times. And what always gets me is when they make you sign the all these paperwork, you're signing your rights and all that. You know, you're basically signing your your Mm -hmm. autonomy away to somebody else so they can care for you. The one that always struck a chord with me and I know like. This is a sensitive topic that I've actually uh, kind of touched on is the the whole gun control thing mm-hmm. where, you know, you're like, well, if I've been admitted into a hospital on a 5150, I cannot own a gun. I cannot be around guns, that type of thing. And yes, I do agree that 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 is true. You shouldn't be around them. But at the same time, that seems manipulative because you're not... Those people that are signing that paperwork, they're not necessarily of sound mind and body. Like how mm-hmm. why are they there to make that decision? Mm-hmm. You know, don't make them sign it until like let's say they get out of the hospital. They're like, "Well, we know you've been in the hospital and we need you to sign this paperwork yeah. until they've reached a the point where they can make that decision." You know, yeah. by law, please sign this now that you are of sound mind and body because I've been I've been admitted. I've just signed shit just because you know, yeah. I don't know what it's like. And said. that's one of those
1: things too sometimes, especially like if especially when it's like it's like when they're forced to be there. Yeah. Versus like when they have a choice. Yeah. And then they have to you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like well in order for us to help you, you we need you to sign this, otherwise right. we can't do anything because then we're gonna you know what I mean? It becomes like that whole like liability type yeah, of situation. Yeah, yeah. You could so I get what you're Yeah, exactly you you're could saying.
0: basically be giving the power of attorney to just some fucking rando there in the hospital. You know what I mean? And uh, they're like, hey, well, when she leaves, I fucking own her. You know, her ass is mine. I've always thought about that, too. And I just think that that's kind of that. That's another fucked up thing. I know, like, it's just not necessarily like everybody's always so quick to say, yeah, the mentally ill are the reason why this and this and that happened. But I don't think anybody's like really going into, you know, trying to take care of it. You know, at least. In a in a political way or mm-hmm. even just in a practical way. Not, you know, not even politics aside, you know, like where I I know that the mentally ill are always the the people to take the brunt force for, you know, everything that goes wrong. It's kind of like where the ISIS of the country, you know what I mean? Like, we got to claim it. I we got to claim it, you know, like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> so now I'm always just admitting a fault in everything that I do, you know, like if something goes wrong, like yeah, the mentally ill did it. I did it. I know it. I know it sometime in my life. I must have done it. But, you know, there's, there's just, there's always that, that thing that, you know, you go, they, they always want to put it on somebody else, you know, that's, it's kind of like a a way of relinquishing accountability, Mm -hmm. I think, and for going back to the whole idea of like, men not wanting to get help. That's also another way for them to kind of relinquish accountability,
1: you know what I mean? I agree. And I think that's the point I was trying to get to him because he was just like, oh, well, if I go to therapy, they're going to gonna look at me different. I'm not going to be seen as strong. I'm, not gonna see I'm like, well, you're holding on to a standard to your own detriment. Right. You're saying you're not going to get help because of this. And I tried to explain to him. I said, listen, like capitalism, let's say white supremacy. Let's say the patriarchy. Right. I know men hate that word. The patriarchy. <laughs> they don't care about your mental health no but you have to care about your mental health you know what i mean like yeah. if not, like none of these stuff is going to change like i told him i said i understand what you're saying yet racism is real you know i know people might try to gaslight you and make it no yeah, i'm validating yeah, no. what he's saying but at the same time i was like yeah racism also doesn't care about your mental health yeah you know exactly. what i mean so you're not helping yourself anyway and i think that's what sometimes where people always talk about pick yourselves up by your bootstraps I get the sentiment, you know, like when it comes to like mental health, right? We have to take care of ourselves because we're not helpless. You know, right, we're not we're helpless not. within the system, but the system does exist. Right. I think that's why I was trying to get him to understand. It's like, yes, I'm validating that these systems are in place, but they also don't care about your mental health. So you have to do the work. Unfortunately, you know, having like a mental illness is burdensome on the individual person. You know, I think also it impacts the relationships we have with other people because then they feel like, oh, they're looking at me a certain way. And even though it's a burden, it's still that extra work that we have to do for ourselves you know
0: yeah yeah that's that's uh that's a lot of the things that i you know encounter i think that's where a lot of the um, a lot of the anxiety comes from <laughs> and just finding you know the right person that you can talk to that you can yeah. open up with you know and and that comes with the challenge of you know um Taking your mental health into your own hands, you know, because you're like, now I got to go through an interview process and now I got to be with these fucking doctors and now I got to be vulnerable. And and it's hard.
1: But the thing about it's like, it's so much harder to be vulnerable with an unsafe person. Yeah,
0: yeah, because they, they don't care. Because there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing in it for you know, them. Like They're I said, like you might
1: have a partner. Maybe you have the best partner in the world, but your partner's not a therapist. Yeah. Or you can have the worst partner ever, so now you're confiding in a person that's going to use it against you in six months.
0: Yeah, no. Well, because <laughs> they have nothing writing on it. They're like, oh, well, whatever, you know? It's like, you. if you want a therapist, talk to the fucking homeless guy in the corner, you know? Then he, As long as yeah. you give him a, he, dude, I swear to God, if you open up emotionally, he will not ask you for money. You know, he's just going to be like, fuck this. I'm not here to listen to that shit. (laughs) You got more problems than I do, bro. You know, (laughs) I could just imagine somebody like, hey, would you talk to me? (laughs) They take off, you know, they're like, I'll do it for a dollar. I'm like, really? (laughs) That's a challenge right there. Um, But yeah, that, 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 yeah, that's, yeah. So I feel like getting through, you know, a lot of the things just, it takes a certain level of self-awareness. And yeah. that that's where the mental work comes from, yeah. is realizing, oh, yeah, hey, I have these behaviors. I mean, diagnosis aside, you don't have to be like me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> diagnosis aside, it's realizing that you have these behaviors um, that you kind of want to address because you realize that they're, not beneficial for you mm-hmm. anymore they're they're no longer helping you you know move forward even just as a person or like there's no growth going on and i've i and i think that that's where a lot of the depression comes from is it's just you being stagnant and and, think, yeah. and yeah and a lot of people aren't willing to say oh yeah i'm depressed because i feel stagnant you know because mm-hmm. then that would require you to just reassess your whole life yeah and some people just get complacent with where they are. And yes, while that's a good thing to be comfortable where you are, but it's also, if it's gonna make you depressed, assess your behavior, yeah. assess your life. What's the what's exactly. the worst thing about changing?
1: And that's one of the things that we assess for. Like We often assess for insight. Like, does this person have a self-awareness that their behaviors are problematic, right? Because mm-hmm. we can talk to people about having like an addiction or depression or anxiety. So I have the awareness, that I have these things, but then, okay, when you adjust your behavior, then it becomes ten times harder. Yeah. But it's not really helpful to be like, oh, I know I do these things. And then you just keep doing it. Yeah. So I think that's the work piece. But, like, yeah, we assess for insight all the time. Yeah. That's one of the most important pieces, I mean, I think, for speaking success.
0: of addiction and things like that, um, it's I've seen a movie where, you know, some people, someone was like, well, what if I just do heroin on the weekends? You know what I mean? I'm <laughs> like, god damn. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, maybe. if You can still function the rest of the week, and then you can, like, <laughs> microdose some heroin. You find the right. Yeah, you got to find the right you. amount of CCs. You're like, this is enough for me to get, you know, and I remember doing things like that, too, because I've also had my dangerous amounts of coping. meg. Uh, although they're not... Da- I, I never did heroin. Let's take that. <laughs> um, I was I did drink a lot, uh, mostly because when I would drink, like, it would slow things down in my head. So... Yeah, and I was still able to function in a way. I don't know how. But at the same time, it's still, again, against my own detriment. I didn't realize it, but I remember when you're in the hospital and you're you're I'm doing my manifesto in the hospital like they told me you know and I remember my doctor was like well what are you gonna do about this alcoholism and I said well I'm only gonna drink when I get out of school I promise Mm. (laughs) and I remember putting it in the list saying okay you just drink drink alcohol with Red Bull so you're still drunk but you could be energized (laughs) and I remember thinking in my head
1: yeah, this is a good plan you know i was like it, i'm gonna it, make it, it. it. so <laughs> like, you, know like you have to meet your patients or meet people where they're at yeah and we have patients that come in they're like oh yeah i smoke this much weed and then it's like you come up with a plan right you yeah. know you have to do the motivational interviewing that we yeah. call it you have to look it up if you want to and it's like you try to meet them where they at so it's like healthcare workers and like um therapists it's like we're kind of we don't make you do things. We're trying to come like alongside you as like a support. Yeah. Sometimes like people are like, Oh, they're trying to make me where it's like, okay, no, I'm trying to support you in your decision. Yeah. And it's like, you may not do a hundred percent, but okay. 20% is good for now. Yeah. You know, then we yeah. set goals over time.
0: Yeah. So I guess that's why that question is, well, how do you feel about this comes yeah. up? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember my therapist doing that shit to me and she was like, well, how do you feel about drinking Red Bull while you're at school? And I say, Hey, I'm not driving, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And that that was my reasoning behind it. Um, it's it wasn't. True. It wasn't the best, you know. And and now I realize it. I realize it because <laughs> now I'm. And this is what I mean. Where I work hard. Like I work out yeah. hours on. Today I missed it. I mm-hmm. missed a day just because it was busy. And. Um, but I I work out. Shout out to my personal trainer. <laughs> Thank you for helping me um shout out. Yeah, I work out uh a lot. I work out a lot. Uh, mostly cuz I want to shed the skin of my depression. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't you don't realize it, you know, you're I you you get in your head when you're working out too. Like that's Yeah. That that I mean I know you know because you, you 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 come from an athletic background mm-hmm. too you know so um, I mean there's just it's just yeah
1: it. <laughs> a lot of mental because it's like it's like your mind they say it's like your body will quit before your mind does you know yeah. so it's like you have to like just push yourself yeah and then when you see that you can do it it's like oh I can do the hard stuff I wanted to quit five minutes ago but I'm still here so it kind of yeah. like reinforces you know do you ever like get an, do you ever
0: get anxiety attacks while you're running because sometimes who says I run.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was a lot. That was no, a big no. assumption. No,
0: I mean, okay, because uh, I always think that when people are they're doing all the machines, and I'm like, okay, because I remember in high school, I'm like a power
1: walker. I know. No. Okay, <laughs> uh, when I was in high
0: school, I had a friend that was in track. And I remember she used to tell me the thing that would make her run faster was she would imagine dogs chasing after her. And I was like, that's just because we live in the ghetto, bro. Like that <laughs> <laughs> like that has nothing to do, but I guess it worked. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I imagine that. Like, I never ran track, but I remember being on the level because I remember she told me, why don't you run track? Because I used to be able to run a mile in six mm-hmm. minutes when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I was also, you know, very thin and frail and... <laughs> I want to get back to that. The The quickest that I can run a mile now is, like, maybe nine minutes.
1: That's pretty good. Yeah, you think I'll so? Do, I was, like, a walk one, run one, even though I ran track. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm saving my energy.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I look, I love running. It gets me, like, a quick dopamine hit, you know, mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I, yes yesterday, speaking of it, yesterday I had an anxiety attack while I was at the gym. I don't know why. I just, just stuff that'll go through my mind i'm like why am i
1: thinking this <laughs> are you just there
0: yeah yeah and i'm like ah i want to scream on the machine but then i realize you got to remember where you are you're around all these people that are gonna freak out
1: <laughs> there's a few that will scream and then we just turn around he's just like has headphones and oh
0: okay yeah
1: do we have a nurse
0: yeah no <laughs> no i don't yeah i've never i, I yeah Neither so i i've usually like when i work out i this is what anxiety looks like when you're working out you move you go into that room you know if you're in an alley fitness you mm-hmm. go into that yeah that multi-purpose room the quiet corner and yeah nice. well after i started doing that i noticed everyone else at the gym was paying attention to me so they started taking my
1: yeah i know like women started to do that like because like for me like i don't want like to work out like in front of like a bunch of guys yeah so then i would come in there so it was like all women like in our little safe our yeah you're in your little safe corner you, you know and
0: then you're you're in front of the mirror yeah yeah <laughs> you know and and you're with your i because i have my sanitation wipes oh yeah and uh <laughs> Not the ones that they give you at the gym, because I don't. I don't feel like the balsalium chloride doesn't. It doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't do shit. No, it just, it just, it just makes your hands allegedly. really dry. <laughs> it just, it just makes your hands super dry. You know, allegedly, it does not do shit. I, I take the alcohol hand sanitizer. That's one of the things that they never told you was that uh, going to the gym, you're also gonna, you know, chug down hand sanitizer because oh, that's. Yeah. I feel like I burned through so many bottles of it. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, self awareness, working out, coping mechanism—we we ran through it all, yeah, Chico. We mean? ran through it all. I mean, I I <laughs> love uh, hearing a lot of your uh, your journeys as a comedian and and everything that comes in between. And you know, I'm I'm hope I know that you know we've we've all gone through things where you know we need that support system. And and I. I'm glad that you're my support system outside of this. And, you know, I'm always happy to be there for you. Always. Likewise. (laughs) You really
1: saved me. Because when I talk about, like, not having a safe person, I was like, wow. I was like, you're the only person who I didn't feel like I had to – I didn't have that instant regret. Most of the time I would have that. I'm like, oh, I didn't share it with the right person. But for you, I always feel good talking to you. I always feel good after the fact. And I think don't underestimate having a safe person to talk to yeah it's really important
0: well what's also important with um safety is confidentiality <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a big confidentiality one confidentiality is... not only that you share but that you also yes. want to share with everybody else yes that's thing exactly too, sure.
0: confidentiality is a <laughs> huge thing and i think that's kind of you know where i'm coming from is uh i understand that you know certain amount of like okay well if people come to me then I'm not gonna say anything well first of all who the hell am I gonna tell my voices (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly am I yeah that's all we're all sitting here you know we're all gonna listen through this um but I appreciate you for you know everything everything that that you that we've gone through as as female comedians and then just you know growing from that and you know, kind of being each other's support system out in in the fields, (laughs) (laughs) out in the fields. Um, all right. So this wraps up our first episode <laughs> of uh, It's Gonna Be Okay. My name is Carissa Gomez, and thank you, Chica, for thank being you for on here. Me. Where
1: can we find you? What's your, your Instagram handle? Oh, gosh. I'm at Cheek, C H E E K underscore 911. Uh, 911 for emergency, not 911. <laughs> uh, just, just, just to clarify, <laughs> just look out for me, guys. Thank yeah, you. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. And um, we wouldn't be here without you guys. So please give us a follow. Uh, there will be more episodes episodes of this but different comedians um hopefully chica will be back to share more segments oh yeah more stories more segments of the horror stories in uh, the (laughs) er (laughs) (laughs) i always love hearing those things um all right so that wraps up this uh we we also have um you know exclusive we have squishmallows. These are these are the guys here. Yeah, these are these are my emotional. Speaking of uh, coping mechanisms, these are my emotional support. I'm doing my grounding
1: technique right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. This <laughs> dude, these are so great. I love them. All right, they're uh, hopefully maybe we'll get we'll get a sponsorship sometime in the future. You know, <laughs> and then I and then I can give one to like every person that does an interview. Otherwise, I I will I will I'll I'll give you one. I'll give you one. You can choose. From one of these guys, you know, you can choose one of my special stash. (laughs) Uh, You can get this one, maybe. I don't know. Whichever one you like. All right. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Carissa Gomez. I hope you guys have a wonderful evening and uh, keep tuning in. We'll keep having more. (laughs) It's
1: going to be okay.
0: It's going to be okay. Remember, it's going to be okay.